Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland is coming up in the second half of the podcast. He's going to talk about the things he'd like to see from the Browns coming up the bye week. But here before we start, we're going to talk about what else? Deshaun Watson. The story that this is not going to go away anytime soon. Now, we might hear we Deshaun is normally scheduled to talk to us on Wednesdays. So maybe by the time you've listened to this, we've heard from him. Uh, we'll see if he talks Wednesday or if that gets pushed back for whatever reason. Maybe we'll have seen him throw the football by the time you listen to this podcast on Wednesday. Stay tuned for all of that. Uh, let's get to it, though, Mary Kay. What is the latest here on Tuesday? It feels like there's been at least a little bit of clarity as to what the injury is and, and what might kind of happen moving forward. Well, we've known since September 27th that it was a bruised shoulder, a contusion, and we've been consistently reporting that as such and writing it like that. Um, But today, um, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero got a little bit more information about what part of the shoulder is actually bruised, and it is the rotator cuff. So that gives us a little bit more info. And if you remember um, that... uh, Baker Mayfield had damage to his rotator cuff, his left rotator cuff, when he was here um, and and trying to play through that thing in 2021. So, um, you know, now we know a little bit more. It doesn't illuminate the whole thing too, too much because, again, we always knew that it was a contusion or a bruise. Now we just know what the actual structure that is bruised. The key here is that it is still not structurally damaged. It's bruised. So that means there should be no surgery. There should be no procedures. And I actually talked to an orthopedic surgeon today, and he gave me a lot of really good information. Um, And one of the things that he said was that um, even in the early going nowadays with, with the way scans have come along, that they should be able to tell right away, even if there's fluid on the shoulder, which there was, that there is no structural damage. So it's not like it used to be in the past where they would always say, oh, you have to wait for the swelling to go down. You have to wait for the fluid to go down before you can see what's going on. If there was a tear in the rotator cuff now, they would know about it. And we keep being told that there is no such tear in the rotator cuff. So he should start to be able to get ready to get back to football action as long as he can tolerate the pain. Yeah. So Ashley, like Mary Kay mentioned, this is something that we've sort of known, right? I mean, they've sort of been repeating that they just haven't put like a diagnosis out there for everyone. Does this make you feel any differently about the injury or what's kind of happened over the last, (laughs) the craziness of the last, however many days? Yeah. So I guess like the caveat being like, we haven't heard from Deshaun himself in terms of how he's actually feeling. But I think like like rotator cuff injuries with quarterbacks are a pretty like, you know, they're susceptible to them given the position that they play. And, you know, especially mobile quarterbacks who are going to take more hits. It makes sense. I guess for me, in, in terms of his healing process and where he is and how he feels and to kind of put some things together that we've heard from the team over the last week or so and talking about, you know, him being functional and Andrew Barry saying he couldn't drive the ball down the field. A rotator cuff injury makes it really hard to drive the ball down the field because you think of the motion of your arm and how it's moving. And Deshaun Watson has always been kind of, you know, a long ball guy. Like he wants to take those deep shots. 
so I think, you know, it's curious at what level of functionality are we talking about here with him? Um, and how is he going to be able to, like, put his arm back? How far is he going to be able to put it back? Is he going to have to lower the ball when he starts his throwing motion? And as a result, is that going to make him underthrow his receivers when he does get back out there? I think all of that is dependent on how he feels and how much pain he's in, how much he can tolerate it. And we don't know that until we talk to him. Mary Kay, how much of this has just been a messaging problem by the Browns? I I just feel like if they could have just come out and said, hey, this is what it is. This is the situation. And I know they've kind of danced around it, but like they've never offered real specifics on it. it. And it just sort of allowed it allowed the speculation to go crazy on social media and every place else talk shows. Uh, I mean, there were national TV people talking about this. Like it just felt like the messaging has never been good on this. And it feels like if from the start, they would have just said, here's the injury or this is what we are fairly certain that it is. And I know they've, they've said like, there's no structural damage, all of that, but just the lack of of specifics, I think, or at least as specific as they might've wanted to get. I, I feel like that sort of let this thing kind of go off the tracks a little bit. Well, that's it in part, Dan, but I think the larger issue was the absolute optimism that was expressed heading into the Ravens game. I think the fact that uh, everyone fully believed that Deshaun Watson had a real high, high threshold of pain and that he was going to be able to play, that it was just a matter of his pain, uh, you know, tolerance, that he would just be able to get out there and play because he was self-reporting that he thought he was going to play. So they kind of were taking him at his word, even though they did, uh, you know, they did say he was questionable and they never, you know, said, oh yeah, he's questionable, but he's playing. I mean, you know, they, they did exercise some caution in, in how they sent the message out, but there was a general vibe of, we feel pretty good about this. We think he's going to play. We think he's going to be okay. Um, and, and that a lot of that came from Deshaun. So, um, you know, so I think that's where the disconnect came in. And then once again, then you fast forward to post-game Ravens. We asked Kevin Stefanski, uh, you know, do you think he'll be able to play against the 49ers? And he said, I do. And so that set expectations that, and he said, I think the bye week helps. That set expectations that when we showed up on the Monday after the bye, once he had a whole that whole week to heal that we would see him out there throwing the ball to a certain degree on Monday. And when we didn't see him, that didn't necessarily align with the message that we got from Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry basically said, this isn't a long-term thing, you know, by helps. We think he's going to be okay. So in retrospect, if they had it to do all over again, I think they would have, tone down the message a little bit. That's what they should have done. They should have toned it down in terms of expectations, set forth expectations. You don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. You don't want to do that. Um, and then by the same token, I do think that in the case of injuries, especially nowadays, with so much social media, so many sources, so many rumors, uh, I do think that uh, the closer you can come, to telling it like it is, is always going to serve you best. So why not just go ahead and say, 
It's a bruised rotator cuff. There is no structural damage in there. Um, it might take a little while for him to get back. Uh, he's going to do everything that he possibly can. And we're going to monitor it, and monitor it, and he's day-to-day. So I think in the case of injuries nowadays, there's just too many people fighting and clawing and scratching their way for information that I think the teams should control the message to the extent that they can and that they will always be best served by doing that. Now, back in the day, maybe 10 years ago, you could have gotten away with saying bruised shoulder, but now it's going to get out and it's going to get out in a way that you might not want it to or when you might not want it to. So I I think that, you know, the closer you can come to just telling it like it is, the better off you are going to be. Kind of like what they did with Nick Chubb. They controlled the message with Nick Chubb. They really did. They controlled that message and they did a really, really masterful job of it. Not only did they control the message, but they, they put forth who got it and when they got it. And for the most part, they... They gave it to their beat writers and to their own to their team. I mean, they they put out the statements and they said what was going on with Nick Chubb to the extent that they could. And I think that is absolutely the best way to go because why let you know social media run rampant with everything? You know, I had to like work work hard today to make sure that I got it confirmed that okay, yes, it was the rotator cuff. That, you know, that NFL Network said it was. And why is that? Because we've seen just in the last few weeks how some of the national media can get things wrong when it comes to players and their injuries. I mean, we saw that ESPN reported that Nick Chubb only had a torn MCL and that, you know, he could be back in six to eight months. Well, you know what? That That's a dangerous thing to put out there for a lot of different reasons if you're not sure. You know, you could exercise a little bit of caution on that. It was always going to be obvious that they were going to have to go in and do the surgery and see what the deal was. And all you had to do was take one look at that injury, which we didn't love doing. But all you had to do was see that knee bend in a gruesome fashion to know that this was more than a torn MCL. So, you know, there's so much stuff out there. I just think the teams should rein it back in and give as much as they can. And I, you know, the Nick Chubb thing is a great example of this. I mean, that I'm, I'm glad you brought that. I didn't even really think about it, but you're right because the way that all played out is the report comes out that oh, he might only have a torn MCL, and then when you dug into it, everybody was saying yes, but we'll right. know more when they go in there and do the surgery. So we're hoping it's only a torn MCL, but we're not going to know until they get in there and have the surgery. And then that message was able to be relayed. Again, through the local beat, that message was able to be relayed. And it, at least for the people that, that saw that after the ESPN report, mm-hmm. they, they kind of knew the deal. And there wasn't this big shock when all of a sudden it comes out, oh, he also needs ACL surgery, which would have given this impression again of just like, what is going on here? Why are these messages always wrong? So they, that was handled really well. Um, but yeah, you know, Ashley. I guess this is becoming a uh, a communications podcast, but but it is true. Like messaging really does matter in a, in a lot of these instances, especially when you're the Browns and you just have a yeah. history of being a dysfunctional organization. And there might not be any dysfunction going on, but when you don't communicate well, 
It just gives that impression of dysfunction. It just leaves it too open to interpretation. And if there's one thing that should not be open to interpretation, it is injuries and timelines to return. And I think, like, granted, like, we're reporters, right? Like, we want transparency. And so, like, obviously, I think we all think this. But, like, I think there would be less of that if you were just honest. And I think there's some things, like you said, like, the Nick is thing is a perfect example. You can be honest when you don't know. And you can say things like, well, we won't know until Nick has his surgery, and then we'll know. I think that's okay. Like, and I think that's how it should be handled. I think it would save a lot of dysfunction. I think it'd save a lot of drama, potentially. Like, because I think when you just let this stuff fester on Twitter, like, who knows what gets back to, to players and what affects them. You know, I think some players really are involved in social media others not so much but at the very least your fan base kind of becomes rabid almost for any little tidbit and it makes it really easy for misinformation to spread too um and i I just think it's not something you should play around with letting people guess because injuries are typically even when they're not cut and dry there's a clear like truth there that you can still let out even if you don't know something Okay, before I let you guys go, I have to ask this question. And you're going to hear me and Lance talk about this, too. I think I actually broke Lance's heart a little bit on Sunday. Uh, We're going to talk Halloween candy real quick. This is the ultimate October sports talk topic. You'd see the Halloween candy brackets. But Lance texted me. I guess he texted all of us separately. What's your favorite Halloween candy? I'm just going to say this. I don't know why I'm putting this out there. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this. I love candy corn. <laughs> love it. It is one of my favorites. Candy corn season is the best. Silence. So there we go. Silence. <laughs> I mean, it's. I'm not like a candy corn hater, but like, it's not my favorite. I don't. I can't tell you the last time I ate it. Like, good for you, Dan, for speaking your truth. Actually, good for you. I, I want my fellow candy corn lovers to know that there are other people out there just like them. Not Lance, no. but me, at least. <laughs> Dan, and before we get off here, we have to remember that we got to talk about PJ Walker for two seconds. But, oh, right. But, oh, yeah, we should talk about the guy who might start on <laughs> <laughs> But candy beckons first. Do you eat your candy corn all like all in one bite or you do you bite the white part <laughs> off and then you eat the orange no and you, go you, little, you go little by little yeah no yeah, it's, it's like that? it's like the reese's peanut butter cups you eat around the edge first and then you eat the rest of the cup yeah no you don't just throw it in you just <laughs> it. i kind of knew that that's how you did it methodically <laughs> like that that you were going to eat it color by color um, i also like I the, big, the big candy corn pumpkins those are those are great but my dog oh, yeah. agrees as you might be able to hear you know, I, I I don't hate candy corn either. I used to really like it a lot, but it's gotten kind of too sweet for me a little bit. And if I'm going to be eating any kind of candy, it's got to have some chocolate in it. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's got to be chocolate. So I'm I'm going Kit Kat, Snickers, and Reese's for um for the Halloween candy. Mary Kay and I are unsurprisingly very similar, <laughs> and I'm sticking with what I told Lance the other day. When he asked, because he didn't tell us why he was so obsessed with asking us this, but we could tell something you had said had really struck a nerve that he went out of a way to put us in a separate group chat without you, Dan, to ask us this question. I said Snickers, 
Butterfinger, and Reese's. Actually, Reese's was my top tier. So I basically listed those in reverse order. Okay, let's talk a little PJ Walker now. That was like our little intermission. <laughs> let's just spend some some real quick time on this, um, Mary Kay. It sounds like PJ Walker, if Deshaun Watson is unable to go, could get the start on um <clears throat> could get the start on Sunday. So what is that kind of I mean, is that a surprise to you um, that that they would go away from DTR this quickly? No, not at all. I mean, I asked Kevin Stefanski uh, that question in the press conference yesterday because um, I figured that they, you know, that they would have to do that. You've got to go uh, against the San Francisco Francisco 49ers Mm -hmm. vaunted defense with a guy who has seen more football and more, more professional football than DTR has. The moment was too big for DTR in part because, you know, they don't have an, a really intact offensive line right now. And they don't have, uh, you know, their complete running game going right now. And as you head into this game, who knows if they're even going to have Joel Batonio or Ethan Posick, and that would be bad against these San Francisco 49ers. Uh, but you just don't want to throw DTR to the wolves. I would 100% start PJ Walker. Now he's been around long enough. Now you have data to see that, um, that DTR was a little bit overwhelmed. Does this mean that we're giving up on DTR? Not by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's got all kinds of uh, great traits and qualities about him. I think he's going to be a really good backup one of these days. Um, But right now at this moment in time, you don't want him to lose his confidence. You don't want to throw him to the wolves and you want to go with someone who has seen more football and who's been around for a long time and the game has slowed down. Yeah. I mean, look, they just overestimated how ready DTR was going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really all there. He looked great in the preseason. He had all these college starts, you know, a lot of people believed that he'd be able to step in and, and be an adequate starter right now, um, at least as a backup, but it didn't happen. It didn't work out. And like you said, this doesn't mean you're giving up on him forever. It just means that you you're about to play a really important game and you want to go with a guy that has started football games before. And like, that is a tough, tough, that tough defense. You know, they're in the discussion for best defenses in the league and having a, having a guy who started really does matter. So I I think this would be the right move um, to at least give this a shot and see what happens. I really do too. And, you know, we watched practice yesterday and um, I expect that that Deshaun, when we get out there tomorrow on Wednesday, that he will probably be at least outside and maybe tossing the ball around a little bit and be somewhat limited. Of course, I think he's going to give it a go and see if he can play. But if he can't play, I really do think that they need to start PJ and, and have somebody who has gone four and three as a starter in his career, has started games recently, as recently as last year for the Panthers. That four and three record has all come with the Panthers in the last three years from 2020 through 2022. So he's been out there uh, in the heat of the moment. Uh, You know, again, he's been around ninth year pro. Things have slowed down for him. And and I I just think that, that he would be the wiser choice. Okay, there we go. Uh, Deshaun talk, Candy talk, and then PJ Walker talk here, all in this first segment of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Ashley had to jump off, so that's why you didn't hear her uh, jump in on the on the PJ Walker uh, side of things. But uh, she will be back with us, uh, of course, when we're back on the pod 
Thursday. And then, of course, our big Friday preview pod is coming. Uh, so just make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're going to take a break. And then on the other side, Lance Reisland is going to join us. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We now welcome on Lance Reisland as we do every week. Lance, it's been a little while. How are you doing? Good, Dan. How are you today? Doing well. All right. So it's the bye week is over. Uh, the Browns have a very stiff test coming up on Sunday in the San Francisco 49ers. We'll get into that a little bit when we have you on our preview pod on Friday. Uh, but right now, I wanted to get an idea from you of the things you wanted the, to see the Browns come out of the bye and show, the things you hope they really worked on over the bye week. So the floor is yours. Give me your first uh, your first thing here. Well, the first thing I want to see is I want to see them create an identity for themselves. Right now, offensively, you and I have talked about they're kind of reaching. Uh, are they going to fit more to Deshaun Watson's skill set? Are they going to run the zone outside boot? All those kind of things. I'd like to see them have some cohesiveness. I'd like to see some place build on each other. Uh, you know, breaking down this 49ers team, I think Shanahan does a great job of what do they do well um, and how do they build off that? So the plays that they've done well, now they have answers to people that have answers. And that's what football is, is to trying to answer what the other person does. And I'd like to see the Browns kind of create an identity for themselves. I still think they need to be, still think they need to run the ball. And I will continually say that uh, regardless of who's that quarterback, they got to protect that quarterback a little bit by running the ball with a really good offensive line. Uh, and, and, you know, in that run game, who is going to be the the featured guy and, and what is their strengths of that guy going to be? So again, I think they got to create an identity and they got to find who, who out, who their offensive, like, uh, or what their offensive kind of scheme and their belief is. And then they got to stick with that belief and they got to go with it. Yeah. I mean, for as much as this has been about Deshaun Watson, right. And you finally have a quarterback and this whole off season was about having an off season to build around Deshaun and put that all together. This really does still feel like post Nick Chubb life right here. You know, I, I think we all knew how important Nick Chubb was. But I think we're seeing like firsthand how important Nick Chubb was because they just really can't get the run game going at all with Jerome Ford. And, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt hasn't really been around long enough. Pierre Strong, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he's ultimately going to be in the run game. But maybe this bye week came at a perfect time because it did give them some days where they could sit down and just spend time figuring out what does this run game need to look like with Jerome Ford? Because nobody is Nick Chubb. And so you got to figure out how to handle things. Now I saw a stat today that Jerome Ford, I think is averaging something like two yards per carry before contact. So, um, you know, they just need to get that running game figured out. Well, yeah, I think, you know, the big thing when you have Nick Chubb is that you, you take it for granted. It's like going back to the Cavs with LeBron. It's like, he's going to get you what you need to get the second. It was a security blanket for everybody, for the quarterback, whoever it was, for Stefanski. He's always going to get you five. I mean, his career average is five, right, or over five, just a little bit. So it's always going to be second and five if you give the ball to Nick Chubb on first down, which makes play calling so much easier. Uh, he gave you those easy yards. You usually get those easy yards with receivers, slot receivers. Uh, again, going back to their identity, what are they What are they doing with Elijah Moore? I know they wanted some Debo Samuel type stuff. I heard you and Mary Kay and Ashley talk about, you know, the size of Debo and, you know, can he give you that stuff? So there's there's an identity issue they have in terms of what they want to do and how they want to use the pieces. But I will always say it always goes back to the run game. If you can get the run game going a little bit, everything else will be a little bit easier. You can't be one-dimensional. You can't just be a pass, pass, pass team. Um, because that's not how they're built right now, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I just want to, I, I mentioned that stat. I did have it right, but I just want to credit where it came from. Uh, Ryan McChrystal, who works for Sharp Football, uh, tweeted out, the fewest yards gained before contact, minimum 50 carries. Jerome Ford is by far the lowest at two. Um, so the running game has, has certainly changed dramatically. And Nick Chubb, just for reference, was 57 yards gained before contact. Um, and that's according to True Media. So uh, they, they need to get that worked out. Okay, uh, what's next? I want to see the defense stay with their identity. I know everybody's panicked a little bit. Uh, last game, they gave up a little bit of yards. Uh, Munkin had a really good plan with the traps and the whams, and he isolated some linebackers and coverage and things like that. But I want to see them stay true to their identity. Everybody wants big adjustments. I don't want big adjustments. I want them to stay true to who they are, be aggressive, get upfield. Uh, that's been very successful for them. They're going to give up some plays. The offense has to do their part. The special teams have to do their part. They really need to play complimentary football. But I don't want to see the defense uh, go away from what they do. And I don't – in fact, I'd be willing to bet they don't with Jim Schwartz. But that's what you want to see. You want to see them stay true to their identity. Their identity right now is aggressive, get upfield, let the linebackers run, play some man coverage. Now, I think they may make some adjustments. If they're struggling in the run game, they can move those – they can still be man, maybe move off a little bit. Uh, but I'd make, you know, we'll get to it Friday, but you know, I want to see Brock Purdy push the ball down fields. He's really good underneath. So, um, but that'd be my thing. I want to make sure that, you know, I want to see that defense stay true to who they are, stay true to their identity. This, I mean, it's such an interesting contrast, right? Because you just talked about offensive identity and trying to find it. And then you talk about defensive identity and maintaining it. And it's no coincidence that, you know, one side of the ball clearly knows who they are. The other side is trying to figure it out and, we know which side of the ball has been more successful this season. Um, And, you know, the defensive side of the ball, even in that Ravens game for the struggles they had, there were moments in that game and and long stretches of moments, honestly, where they were very good and and they were good enough to win that game. I thought. Um, So I, I guess when you look at, we talked about how Lamar Jackson can stress the defense. And I'm just wondering, like, how big of a test is it going to be for this defense against San Francisco? You know, if they do start screening them to death with Christian McCaffrey or, the, you know, whatever it is, like, when, when you play a lesser team, you can bully them, you can push them around, you can be who you are. This is not a lesser team. So how difficult is it to keep that identity against a team like the 49ers? Well, I think it's t- I mean, the 49ers are, I would say, the best team in the NFL. They're the best film I've watched. I'm three games in, and they're the best film in terms of, the all the pieces i mean they punt the ball well they average 46 yards a punt he has 10 of his 15 punts inside the uh 20 yard line they punt ray ray mcleod returns the ball well so they do everything very well um but i think you have to stick with your identity now uh you know if you're talking about a screen game well they're going to be in man coverage so they're going to have to make some tackles because even if they screen they'll have a man on mccaffrey they got to make tackles in space but the thing that you don't want to do is just like offensively Whoever, whatever your scheme is on both sides of the ball, you want to run what you run because then you know how to fix it. Uh, what we all do as coaches sometimes is we reach because we're struggling and you try to find the answers. And unfortunately, sometimes we find the answers uh, and those don't work either. But the problem is with that now, not only do they not work, but now we don't, we don't know how to fix it. And so they got to stay true to who they are. They got to be pressure. They got to get upfield. Sure. They got to make some adjustments. They got to have some scouting reports some tendencies on what they do first, second, third down. It's kind of what I'm working on now too. Uh, but it's a very balanced offense. I think they got to be very vanilla on defense. They got to keep, you know, make sure they set the edge, 
because Smith and, and Little set the edge. So they got to set the edge and they got to do some things, but they have to stay true to who they are because they know how to fix that. Schwartz is an aggressive guy. And if he goes the other way, that's not their identity and that's not what they've been practicing. So there's nothing worse. You know, if you're going to go down, go down with what you do, go down swinging with what you do. And if the team, other team is better, great, but don't go down because you're adjusting to them so much, then you're not doing what you do. Um, your guys are confident what you do. Go make plays. How difficult is that for a defense and a defensive coordinator? If, you know, let's say Sunday, things are going great. And we mentioned that screen game, you know, they hit Christian McCaffrey on a screen or maybe just it's a handoff to McCaffrey or who, you know, whatever they do, pops it for 40 yards, um, doesn't score, pops it for 40 yards. How difficult is it to maintain that identity when a team who frankly is going to hit some big plays on you starts hitting some of those big plays? Well, if you're a pressure, you know, all the coaches that I've worked with and some of my defensive coordinators, they've been pressure guys. And you go into a meeting, if you're a pressure guy and you're playing man coverage and you're blitzing and you go against a really good team, you're going to get caught. What you're trying to do is you're trying to catch them more than they catch you. And if you go with that mindset that, hey, um, you know, you give up play inside the red zone. Well, your defense is predicated on making big plays. So you don't you don't panic. Now you're saying, let's get a sack. Let's get a pick sick. Let's get a strip fumble. Let's get a, you know, let's get a tackle for a loss because that's how we're built. So you're going to give up big plays uh, as a, as a pressure defense. And you know, that this is, you know, this is not the bend don't break. They don't, that's not the philosophy they have now. Um, and with all the good, you know, through the first three or four weeks, you're going to have to take some bad. And they gave up. A, and really, like you said, there was two drives. There was a 93-yard drive and a 75-yard drive. And those drives were just like, okay, they, you know, maybe the defense was trying to press and there's some different things to it. But they've been very good at what they do. And they're continuously practicing that. And you and I talked, you know, last week and the week before, they're getting reps at what they do. They're not really worried about, I mean, they are, every coach is, but they're getting better at what they do. And that's what Schwartz, that's the mentality and the identity. We're going to do what we do, and we're going to attack with that. And if you can beat us, you can beat us. But these are this is what we do, and we're going to go down swinging with what we do. And that's that's how you get better is you know practicing what you do and seeing what the other team has, and then you adjust as best you can. Okay, what's the last thing you have for us? Well, I think they got to have some accountability and some transparency. You know, I think you know obviously working with you guys for a, a year and a half now, they got to be able to uh, have answers. And you know, you know, like Jed Wills, you know, you no one really knows how they feel about Jed Wills. And I don't think they outwardly need to come out and say he's playing terrible or he's playing great or, you know, they're tackling, but it'd be nice to, I think part of the frustration is that, you know, they don't really tell what's going on and what their, what their needs are and are they out looking and is Deshaun Watson playing and how's the shoulder. It just be, I think it would be help them uh, to have a better atmosphere around if they would just be a little bit more accountable. And it's okay if Jed Wills plays bad, take him out, say he's going to play, but you know, we're going to get him to play better and then get him back in. It's just the idea of like, there's no, they got to hold people accountable. The coaches themselves hold themselves accountable. Did they self scout over the last, you know, last 10 days? Uh, you know, if the player, if there's people playing bad, why are they still in? Um, not that they have to explain themselves They're They get paid good money to do what they do. And I think they do a great job, but it just, the transparency of it, I think would help them um, and everybody around it's a very, it's a very not, it's not a great feeling right now when you talk about the Browns. And I think a lot of it has to do is just that, you know, there's a lot of unknown with what they're, what are they trying to, are they building? Do they feel, is it win now? Or is it, no, is it not win now? You know, all those kind of things. And I think that just adds to the uh, stress of everybody involved. Yeah. And like this Deshaun thing is a, a perfect example, right? It's, this might just be a normal shoulder injury, right? And there's reporting today that it's, it's a rotator 
cuff contusion or whatever, um, which is sort of what it has been indicated. That's what it is. That it's a day to day. Don't know if he's going to play Sunday yet or not. Um, but the messaging around it has been so bad, whether they just haven't said something or whether they've said something that was confusing, that it's just opened up this whole like world of speculation on Twitter, every place else. And so sometimes it's just that messaging can be a little better. You know, like you said, you don't have to stand up there and say Jed Wills stinks. Like, obviously, you're not going to say that because you need this guy to keep playing well. You're not going to blast him publicly. Uh, But there are little things they could do better and be more transparent about. Like, for example, if we're going to go out there on Monday and Deshaun's going to be inside throwing and we're not going to see him, like, you got to be ready to message that. Because if you don't, everybody's going to spend the next couple days until we get to talk to these guys again and see them practice panicking about Deshaun Watson and, and whatever's going on. So it creates this, it creates this uh, like image of dysfunction when there might not actually be dysfunction. Well, you just said it, the, it, it gives you the infant, you know, unfortunately perception is everything, right? So it does give you that perception of that they're it's dysfunction. They're not sure what's going on. And uh, that might, you're like you said, that might not be the case at all. They might have an exact plan, but transparency takes that all away. It takes all the, if you're out in front of things, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in if you're, when you're a coach, if you're out in front of things, you nip those things in the bud before they happen. And you can say whatever you want, but if you come out and say, Hey, we're not, Deshaun's not practicing Monday. He's going to be inside right now. He's on track. We're going to get this guy ready, you know, and then, you you know, you hear uh, that DTR is not going to be the starter if Watson can't go. Those are some things that you saw floating around now. Those are things that you need to nip in the bud right now. And so people aren't speculating. And once again, creating that atmosphere of dysfunction, um, the stress, the the pressure. And, you know, they don't owe anybody anything, but, you know, people want to know. Browns fans want to know, and it just helps. I think I think it would get more people on their side, and they could build momentum uh, through the hard times. And all football teams go through hard times, and I think that would help them if they would just be up front with stuff and, and kind of you know attack these things before they get out. And and the other element of that in the NFL too, um, <clears throat> that while you were talking about that, just kind of reminded me is like in the NFL, if you're trying to kind of be secretive and you know not say things. The problem is, is we're in those locker rooms three days a week during the week, right? And we're talking to players and then you're putting your players in a position where they have to think about that stuff. Like, I better not say something. I better be careful, which might seem like nothing, but it's just one other thing that you're putting on your players during a week where they're about to play maybe the best team in football. Um, It's just one other thing that they have to think about. And it's not a football thing. It's just a stupid media thing. And you hate, you hate to have that be a distraction for them. Going back to what we said, you know, I'm thinking about the coach thing and, and obviously coaching at a high school level. But, you know, when I had some successful teams, you get a lot of media and a lot of people. The thing that it does is if you're out front, it lets you work on football. So the Browns, when, you know, when they don't know who's starting and when you guys, especially when you, Mary Kay and Ashley don't know who's starting and you have to ask questions and go around and do those things. You know, and, and we're down at practice and we're watching and we see, you know, how many times we talk about this guy got second reps and this guy got third reps. It'd be great if they came out and said, hey, they're in team today. Uh Watson's going to get most of them. Uh, don't stress uh, because, uh, you know, such and such got the reps yesterday in Skelly. We're going to use such as a, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't change who, you know, who the second is right now. We're just trying to get some reps with some different guys. But if you don't do those things, you get to speculate and you get to kind of go out there and decide on what you want. And that's, and that's, that's what you want to, you want guys talking football. You know, the question should be, um, you know, 
how are you guys going to attack? What are you guys going to do with Bosa? Are you guys going to chip him? Are you leaving a tight end there? You know, things like that. But right now, over the course of, you know, this tenure with this new group, it's kind of like the football questions are secondary. And if the football questions are secondary, that means the, the focus isn't on what it should be, which is reps, 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 and attacking the team that you're playing. And if you look at the good teams, that's what they're working on. They're working on – there's no dysfunction – in Sands Fran right now, they know who's starting. They know who the backups are. They're transparent, and that's that's how, that's what the Browns are going to get to, you know. And the bottom line is, you got to win. And if you win, all these other things clear up fast. All right, we're going to wrap up with this here. Um, now, pull back the curtain just a little. We're recording this segment before I've talked to Ashley and Mary Kay, who that's the first segment. So maybe I've already been raked over the coals for this take. So I am just, who knows what sort of of abuse I'm about to put myself through here. But Lance texted me on Sunday. Hey, what do do we want to talk about this week? Texted him back. And then he says, all right, now the next big question, your favorite Halloween candies. And Lance, I told you that I like candy corn. And I think, I, I don't know. I just, the level of respect you had for me, I could feel it through the text. I feel like it just fell through the earth like i was like mac jones on that that play against the raiders last year when he got stiff-armed on that that touchdown return that won the game that's how i felt like mac jones um you were not happy with that take the thing that happened is that i knew you i knew you knew i'd be disappointed because you you came out with said before i get started we're gonna i'm dying on this hill i'm going candy corn i'm a candy corn person so immediately (laughs) I, I got taken back, and I was I was shocked by that answer because, I, you know, if you ask me the most overrated candy corn is the most overrated, I was shocked to hear that answer. You know, some of the other answers were really good. I appreciate like Reese cups, definitely yep. number one, and then any Reese's anything. Then you go with the Snickers, and I always like when we went to some of the houses where I grew up, and you got the <laughs> big Snickers. That happened once yep. in a while, and then you got to go classic. I go peanut M M&M and M or maybe a Butterfinger. It's three, you know, or honorable mention. But candy corn, my goodness, I was just, I was kind of shocked. You know, I know you now, it's okay, because you get to learn we, each other. It's okay. Uh, we'll let it slide. We all have things that we need to work on. Uh, we'll get you some, uh, we'll get you some good, good candy moving forward. We, we candy corn people know. We know that we will be the object of scorn, but like, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to go through that checkout aisle. I'm going to have the bag of the, the, not just the candy corn. I'm going to have those big pumpkins, you know, the candy corn pumpkins. I'm going to have those. Uh, I don't care. Look at me. Score me. Doesn't matter. I'm eating candy corn when I get home. I'm good. Well, it's probably on sale. You probably take all, you know, you can die on the hill, but you can grab them all. They're on sale. You can grab them all. Their bags are like three for one, especially as they get close because they don't sell them. So you can, you, you're on that hill by yourself and you can have them. And I'm pretty sure I could be wrong because I would not have thought you a candy corn guy, but I'm pretty sure Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm going to, I'm going to go on limb and say they're not a candy corn people, but we'll find out. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Like I, like I said, by the time you hear this, they'll have answered that question. But um, yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm very curious to see what they have to say about that. All right, there we go. I still, yeah, I got some I, good, I got some good questions moving forward. Things very pressing stuff for us <laughs> moving forward on Sunday. I'm going to add those to my Sunday conversation. So we'll see. We'll see if my takes get any better as as we go <laughs> along. I stand. I stand by it. Candy corn people. Stick I mean, together. if you are, then you stick to it. I agree with that. It, you know, whatever hill you're on, you got. It, it doesn't matter. You guys, that's your call. That I like it. What did we talk about? Identity. 
Identity. Your identity is candy corn. Stick with it regardless of what the offense or defense does. I agree completely. That's right. Be, be who you are. Okay, uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Lance will be back on Friday for our Browns 49ers preview pod. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk, and check out our YouTube channel. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. For Mary Kay, Ashley, and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.